I have not been to church in person for six months. This means a lot to me. And that I would come back to church at my favorite church <laughs> is so wonderful. To be able to preach in person and online to so many people in Nigeria and around the world. This is, I think I took it for granted before. But this has revealed to me how precious it is to me um, to be with the people of God. So thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here. Um, I, I love the Missions Week theme, bringing hope through the gospel in these trying times. These are trying times. I know you've been tried. I know you've gone through a lot. I have too. Sometimes it's been a little lonely, a little isolated. Um, and, but thank God, this pandemic has not held back the gospel, <laughs> not even 1%. This pandemic has not held back the love of God one iota. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. If anything, I'm going to see the kingdom of God actually expand. It always happens that way, where there's persecution, where there's hardship, where there's trouble. That's where God is at his best, where he, you know, the light shines brightest in the darkness. Amen? And it's dark, but guess what? We got a light. I'm not bummed out. <laughs> I'm not depressed. In fact, I want to share some good news with you. Oh, New York City Relief, um, I think we got a slide here, which is just, you know, you've, you've known New York City Relief, the organization I work with. I've been working here 18 years, and we've been partnering, I don't know how long, over 10 years. And um, probably it's been more like 17 or something. And during the pandemic, here's what happened in New York City. It was the epicenter and everybody was terrified they were going to catch this virus and die. And so the governor and the, the mayor said, everyone stay home. But what about the homeless? They've got no home to stay home at. But what did they do? They went into the shelters. The shelters had an all-time high, the highest uh, male population in the shelter system in this, the history of, of New York City. And New York City already has the largest homeless population in the entire country. So this mean, meant a lot. But we, in our outreach, we go out, of course, every week providing food, providing help, providing prayer. And we decided we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going out because they need us now more than ever. And it was crazy. The streets were like a ghost town. No one's there except for the homeless. And they were terrified they said, I'm sleeping in a shelter, and I live, I sleep in a bed so close to other people I could touch them. And they're coughing all night long. No one has a mask. Not the security, the staff, especially not the homeless people. And so they're coming to us just desperate. And to be there, um, it was amazing. To be there for people when they need you the most. It was so powerful, so touching to me that God would allow us to serve. We didn't have any volunteers. Usually we have thousands of volunteers throughout the year. Everybody canceled. <laughs> and, we, and, and so we had to work longer hours, get up earlier, work harder. And I'll be honest, it was hard, very hard, especially from March through June. Just very difficult. I, I would say the most difficult time for me in ministry in my entire life. Everybody was stretched thin and doing their best. And we didn't know. 
Are we going to have enough money to keep going, right? Are we going to be able to keep buying enough food? Because we, the numbers exploded. There was lines down the street, around the corner. There was so many hungry people. And I was like, How, can we keep up this pace? Let me tell you what happened. Just, even, just from March through June, we served 19,000 people. We served 25,000 meals. I mean, we were serving double of what we normally did and t at twice the rate. I'd never seen anything like this. We distributed 18,000 face masks. That was awesome. At first, we had no face masks. Then we were giving out thousands and hand sanitizer and hygiene kits. And people couldn't even bathe themselves to stay clean from the virus. And so we worked with organizations that had mobile showers. This is the first time in New York City this has ever happened. They brought in trailers with showers. And we could connect them so they could get clean and shave and brush their teeth and, and stay alive, right, by staying clean. So... Of course, the people were very scared in the shelters. Some of them were elderly, they were sick, and they're, they're very at risk for uh, getting COVID. And so we, we helped some people to get into hotels where they could be safe and protected because some homeless people are very ill. Um, we even met a man, he had just gotten heart surgery, and he was released from the hospital out onto the streets during the worst of the pandemic. I mean, it's the worst case scenario, but we were able to get him in a hotel to keep him safe. And I was like, thank you, God, because the hotels are empty, right? No tourists. And so the city began to follow suit and began to fill the hotels all over the city, and they still are, with people who are homeless to keep them safe and protect their lives. And I was like, God, thank you. I've never seen anything like this. In fact, we saw innovations. Look at this photo. This is pretty neat. Um, next. This is a booth that an engineering firm designed for us so we could meet with people safely. Because usually people come inside of our buses and we close the door and we're inside. That's not allowed anymore. It's not safe. And so an engineering firm uh, led by some Christians, they, they designed this booth we can put out on the street. And it's wonderful. People are coming and lines of people are coming to get help. Where can I get shelter? Where can I, you know, get food? Where can I get help? How can I get prayer, right? And so this is brand new. And so the Lord is bringing good things out of a bad situation. <laughs> it's wonderful. And, and you know what? We're never going to stop using these booths. This worked better than doing it inside the bus. We're helping more people than we did before. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I never would have come up with this idea, but here you brought it in the dark times. You see, we're still going to bring the hope of the gospel during trying times. Uh, another innovation is that we began to give out cell phones. Now, we've never given out cell phones, but during the pandemic, people could not get into offices, into buildings to get their food stamps, to get medical care, to get help. They couldn't get everything they needed. They needed a phone. And so we worked with Doctors Without Borders. We've never worked with Doctors Without Borders that's never happened, but they gave us hundreds of phones, and we began to give them to people. And I want to show you a video of just one woman. Her name is Anne. She's struggling with homelessness, and how that phone and our help uh, changed her life. So let's watch that video. Well, the coronavirus really affected me hard because at the time, um, when the coronavirus first began, um, 
my public assistance case was closed and there weren't any offices open at the time. Therefore, I didn't have anything to eat, but you know, good thing that they have um, different agencies out here that provide food, so I was able to eat something, and I'm very grateful for that. And also, just the whole not being able to look for work or anything like that, um, it's kind of stressful. Yeah, I just don't understand. I'm like so happy. Now, nobody ever gave me anything before, especially a phone, and some food, and some socks, and something to drink. Like, this is like the best thing ever. Like, I don't take things like this for granted. I'm going to call my son and let him know that I'm okay and that I miss him and that I love him. So I'm, I'm happy for the phone. Like, everything worked out for me today. I'm excited. And if I stay on here any longer, I'm going to cry and I'll <laughs> You know, many of the people who received a cell phone, what they said, I'm going to call my family and let them know I'm alive. <laughs> their, their kids, the parents didn't even know if they're alive on the streets of New York City. I'm going to call them and reconnect them with their family. I was like, thank you, God. I never would have thought of this. But the Lord is opening doors. And I want to tell you, he does it through this church. This church has stood with us through the entire pandemic, always giving every month. And what you give to missions, it makes a difference. It is changing lives. People who have nowhere else to turn, they're coming to us, the body of Christ, for help. And of course, we're able to share Jesus. We, you know, we pray 20,000 prayers a year with homeless people on the streets. I, I can't even imagine that, 20,000 prayers. But it's because people like you give and sow into the kingdom, not just for us inside here, but those out there. Whether it's Nigeria, whether it's in New York City, it's, it's saying, I'm going to follow I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do and sow what he's given me into the kingdom for other people I don't even know. But I would love for you to know them. Let me show you a photo of a woman we, we helped during the pandemic. Um, her name is Dolly. And this is what, in the front. That's uh, Lauren Lee, one of our outreach leaders, one of our ministers. And right behind her is a woman named Dolly. And Dolly, um, after she quarantined herself for a couple weeks, she came to our outreach, and she told Lauren, she, she, she said, can we go around the corner and talk? And she just began to cry because her husband had passed away from COVID-19. And she was devastated. And Lauren, you know, said, you know, she's, Dolly said he was a good man. He worked endless hours so our children could attend university and have a life we never had. And it was such a great loss to her. And she told, Dolly told Lauren she wanted to transport her husband's body back to Ghana, where he was from, so he could be buried and celebrate his life with the family and friends from his home country. And so Lauren said, can we help with some of the funds? But the kids came together, and they, they came up with all the money, uh, which we were so happy. And so we said, is there anything else we can do? And she says, you know what? The relief bus keeps me going. She said, just keep coming back every week to the Bronx. You're family to me. She said to Lauren, you're my daughter. And she said, Brett, who's one of our staff, is my friend. She said, the relief bus keeps me going, and I look forward to seeing everyone every Saturday. Just keep showing up. How do we, how do we bring the gospel, bring hope through the gospel in trying times? We just keep showing up. God does the heavy lifting. God does the work. Just show up in the name of Jesus. 
and he'll protect you from COVID-19, and he'll protect you, you know, from fear, and he'll protect you from everything else that's holding us back, because nothing can stop the Lord. And if we perish, we perish, too. I know where I'm going. I'd rather be in heaven anyway. Amen? Amen. Heaven is better than New Jersey, I'm telling you. I like it here, but I'd rather be with the Lord. <laughs> so the, the message I want to share this morning is called No More Blind Spots. Can you put that up? No More Blind Spots. I think everyone knows what blind spots are, especially when driving. Um, but I want to I give you an example, a story. Uh, look at this next photo. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. This is a recreational vehicle, a camper vehicle. When I was 16 years old, I told my family, my father and mother, I said, I want to go to a Christian music festival in Chicago. It's wonderful. All these Christian musicians. And, and my father said, let's go as a family. And I was like, wonderful, that sounds even better. And he said, I'm going to rent an RV, and I'll drive it up, and we'll drive up together to the festival, and we'll stay in this vehicle. We had never done anything like this before. I had never experienced this. And so, okay, I'm 16, great. I just got my driver's license. I was like, you know, I wasn't driving, but I was happy to go. And then he said this, uh, right when it was time to drive, to Chicago, months later, he said, I've got to stay home for work. I can't leave, but I'll fly and meet you up there. Well, I'm like, well, who's driving? He said, you. I'm like, well, I'm 16 years old. I just got my driver's license. This is a huge vehicle, right? And so I was like, well, okay, we're an adventurous people, the Galloways. I'll give it a try. And so my friend and I, and my friend was uh, a year younger than me. He was 15. He was the other driver. Okay, and so we got in, and my mom was with us, and my little brother and sister, and we started driving from Dallas, Texas, to Chicago. And of course, I'd never driven anything. This is huge. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And we're driving down the road, and, and I think we got, you know, we're going up through America, and we got to about Indiana, and I had to change lanes, okay? And so I was in the right-hand lane, and so I looked in the mirror. I didn't see anything. So I began to change lanes, and I moved into the next lane. What I didn't know was there was someone in my blind spot. Now, the bigger the vehicle, the bigger the blind spot. I looked out the window, but I couldn't see way back what was out of my peripheral vision, right? And so I, I, that big vehicle... And that little person in that little car was like, whoa, and they went left, left, and they went off the road into the dirt. Now, fortunately, it was level. They didn't get in a wreck. No one was hurt. No, no crash. And I didn't even know I had done it. I didn't, I didn't see them. I didn't know they were back there. And so I just kept going along, right, oblivious. And then they came by. Of course, they came back on the road, and they came by. And I was like, whoa. And they gave me... Uh, the New Jersey bird, they lifted a finger up, you know, while I was passing. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done? I almost killed that person. What am I thinking? You see, we all have blind spots in our lives. And blind spots, by definition, are things we don't know, we can't see, but we don't know that we can't see. That's why it's a blind spot. Let me, let me describe this. A blind spot is a false assumption about a type of person. It's when we perceive situations and people in a skewed manner, a distorted manner. We're not really seeing through God's eyes reality. 
we all have blind spots. And the danger of these blind spots is that we can miss people. We can overlook people. Or even worse, we can run them over, run them off the road in our ignorance, like I almost did, right? Or like I did. And we do this by how we think about people wrongly, how we talk about people, how we act towards people because they're in our blind spot. We're not seeing them correctly the way the Bible says to. Now, let's get into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about eyes. Here's what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body, all of you, will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you have blind spots, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is Jesus talking, okay? And he says how we are seeing people, assessing them, judging them, rating them, categorizing them is essential to our entire soul being healthy. It affects all of us how we're seeing people. Not the real eyes, the heart eyes. How we see people through the lens of our heart and these blind spots. Now, we don't want to be the blind being led by the blind, but why do we have these blind spots? I'm going to tell you, okay? It's not because we tried to have blind spots or we wanted to be blind. It's because uh, our past experiences, our family, our education, our culture, our country we come from, our source of news that we watch on TV, our political party, all these influences speak to us things that aren't necessarily true or right or accurate and don't align with God's word. And we grow up in this, and we don't even know we have it. We don't know we have these blind spots or these false assumptions or these false judgments until the Lord reveals them. And what he's saying through this verse in Matthew chapter 6 is, this is super important. Super mega important. Because if your heart eyes are messed up, your soul is messed up. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in danger. I don't want to be in a bad place where I'm misrepresenting the kingdom of God, where I'm not living out truth and reality, but a distorted version. I don't want that. Here's my big idea statement, okay? We need spiritual eyes to overcome our blind spots to see God's reality. I'm going to say that again. We need spiritual eyes. We need the Lord's eyes to overcome the blind spots that we definitely have. We all have false judgments and false assumptions, but we need him to overcome them so we can finally see God's reality, what he sees. Now, I, like to, I love to preach in context. I was just preaching Matthew chapter 6. I want to go to chapter 7 because it goes deeper. This it gets much stronger. Check this out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, do not judge others. Hello. And you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And this is the best part. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, 
let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Yes. We have all done this. We all do this. And I think the first step to being set free is knowing there's a problem, knowing there's sin, knowing there's distortion, and saying, God, I need help with this thing because now we can deal with it. I can repent. I can be free. I can begin to change. But for the first thing that I do is just identify, uh, hello, I have a log in my eye. This is graphic, right? Jesus is saying, a log is big, right? He's saying, you know, you're pick, nitpicking. Someone else, they should do this. They should do that. They're wrong. They're bad. You know, they're messed up. Well, look at you. Look in the mirror, Jesus is saying. I'm like, whoa, okay, Jesus. Now, the sad thing is because of these blind spots, we could be pushing people into the margins. No, I don't want to be near you. No, I don't want to be close to you. No, I don't want to have anything to do with you because, you know, you're not good enough. There's a people group that I work with, people's challenged with homelessness, and they are, boy, if anyone is judged in America, it's the homeless. If anyone is judged, you know, judging a book by its cover, it's the homeless. And I've worked for 18 years with the homeless, and wonderful people, some of them, amazing. And here's, you know, here's a piece of wood, here's like a plank, and many people, when they look at the homeless, they're like, why don't you get a job? What's wrong with, you know, everything is like, you're no good. And the Lord is saying, you know, we look at people and we think, oh, that person is dangerous. Look, they're probably a criminal, right? It, it, it's like immediately we have a, a filter that's distorted. That's who they are. They're bad. Or maybe they're lazy, that person just doesn't want to work like I do. I work hard. Why don't they work? Judgment, judgment, judgment. You've never been lazy? <laughs> I know I have, right? You've never been out of control? Yes, in secret behind closed doors, right? And they'll look at people and say, oh, they're crazy. You know, oh, they're just crazy. You can't help them. There's, there's no hope. They're, mentally, they're all mentally ill. The homeless are all nuts. You can't help them. And so they look at them through this filter. It's like, no. Or they might say, you know what? They're irresponsible. That person is just irresponsible. And they're just, you know, they have no integrity. Or they wouldn't be like that. Or maybe, this is a big one. <laughs> maybe uh, some people are just trouble. Some people you can't help. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? <laughs> Try to find that in the Bible. You know where it is? The book of Judas. <laughs> if, if, we, if God would help those who help themselves, he wouldn't have needed to send Jesus. We could just help ourselves. I know I can't help myself. I need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to pull the scales off my eyes and give me eyes to see and ears to hear so I can change. But it's the grace of God and mercy of God, not my good works. And so a lot of times we have this plank in our eye and we're looking at someone who, you know what? That speck in their eye, they, they may have something they can do to help us to remove the plank from our eyes. 
This is what the Lord does all the time to me. He uses those who I judge to change me and teach me and humble me so that I can be like Jesus. I think that's what uh, some of what Matthew 25 means when he says, when you do unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. You experience Jesus when you help those who are a prisoner or they're poor or they're hungry or they're naked or whatever, you know, in Matthew 25. And so Jesus wants to, Jesus wants to remove this from the log from our eyes. And it's not just about the homeless. It's about lots of different kinds of people, right? But he wants to destroy that so that we can see. There's an uh, author I really like, a Christian author named Brennan Manning, and he said this in, this in this book I read. He said, most of the time we're wrong, you can see it, in our judgment of others. The tragedy is that our attention centers on what people are not rather than what they are and who they might become. Isn't that the heart of God? Not seeing people, all of their lack or the sum of everything bad, but looking for the good, looking for the image of God in that person, right? Whoever they are and having mercy the way God has had mercy with us. Uh, it has been said that the pessimist, look at this, the pessimist sees what is not. The, the realist sees what is, the reality, right? But the optimist sees what could be. Well, we're going beyond even the optimist. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Not by human understanding, not by intellect, not by education. I'm going to look through the heart of God and see supernatural things that nobody else can see, maybe even the person about themselves, I remember when Tracy and I were church planting with Foursquare. We went into this record store, and this man was a drug dealer. And Tracy said to him, do you know if there's any drug dealers in this area? Because we believe that God can use them to stop dealing drugs and start sharing the gospel prophetically and to be set free from dealing something that's evil and dark and use them to impact the world for Jesus. And he was looked at us like, what? <laughs> Right? But Tracy could see through supernatural eyes something I couldn't even see. I was like, wow, what boldness, what courage, what fire, what truth. She was seeing through God's eyes the miracle that hadn't yet happened yet, right? But yet God sees it. He sees it all. He's not trapped by time. Those with spiritual eyes see God's reality and destiny for people. And not only that, they're compelled to act, to bring his will to fruition. In other words, these eyes, these spiritual eyes, give legs to filling the gospel. Because when the Lord opens your heart eyes, you have to do something. It's not just, oh, I see it, now I know. No, it's like, I see it, I must act. Jesus, when he saw sickness, he had to act to heal. When Jesus saw people were in bondage, he had to act to set them free. That's why he came from heaven to earth for all of us. He, he was compelled, compelled. He couldn't be stopped. And that's what he wants to turn us into, unstoppable believers. But he's got to give us eye surgery. He's got to remove these cataracts, right? These spiritual cataracts in our heart. We need spiritual eyes to overcome our blind spots to see God's reality. 
Now, who, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. I want you to think very deeply right now, okay? Everybody around the world, think about yourself. I'm going to name some different kinds of people. And I want you to think about the first feeling or the first thought that jumps to your mind. I talked about people who are homeless. When you see someone who's obviously is unwashed, unkept, maybe they're talking to themselves or begging, do you feel God's heart at that moment? What about just people struggling with poverty? People maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in, in, in Oranges or Elizabeth where I work or Newark or wherever you're from, when you see just the poor, do you, do you immediately rush to judgment like, oh, if they only just would go to school or whatever? Do you, assumptions fly to your mind that aren't God? What about people who are challenged with addictions? Alcoholics, drug addicts. When you see people who are obviously drunk or they're high or they're out of control, what is the first feeling that jumps to your heart? Is it love or is it something else? What about people of other religions? There's many other religions, Muslims and many others, right? Do you feel hope for them? Do you feel humility? Do you feel compassion? Or do you feel, that's my enemy? What about just people who aren't even Christians, right? We work with many people, right, all of us, who don't know the Lord. Do we look down on them ever? Do we condescend like, they don't know what I know. They should get it together, follow the Lord. You know, do we look at them in a judgmental way? What about those who are LGBTQ? Do you feel the heart of God when you see people, or do you feel disgust? Do you feel love overtaking you, and are, do you rush to prayer, or do you feel anger? What about people who've been in prison, people who have committed crimes, people who are in prison? How do you feel about them? How do you see them? How do you care for them, if at all? What about the mentally disabled? those who struggle with mental illness, mental health, which is so many different things, right? When you see someone like that, are you afraid of them? Do you not want to get close? Or do you feel the heart of God? I want to get to know that person. I want to find out more about them. Maybe it's even a person of another race. Maybe it's someone who looks different. They have a different language than you and I do. Do we have judgments about that people group, about how they do whatever they do? And there's so many more. I'm not going to keep going. But there's so many more. And it's almost impossible not to have those seeds planted in you while you grow up in this world. Some false judgments about others that aren't God. And if we hold on to those, we will never reach them with the gospel, the hope of the gospel. And that would be the greatest tragedy there is. There's only one thing we can take to heaven with us. It's not our accomplishments. It's not the money we made. It's just people. You can't take anything to heaven but other people. Hurting people, lonely people, desperate people who need Jesus like I do and you do. So... Let's talk about answers, because I don't want you beat up on us. 
make us all feel guilty and terrible about ourselves. Let's, the Lord has answers for all of this. Amen? He's come to set us free and pull the scales off our eyes. Let's look at that now. How do we get spiritual cataract surgery? How do we get spiritual eyes to see people the way God sees them? Number one, here we go. Get up close. Get up close. Let me, <laughs> I'm taking my glasses off, okay? I'm going to, okay, I'm holding, you can see this paper. This is my notes. I cannot read these. I, my, my, my vision is very fuzzy. I'm going to tell you when I can start reading it. Right there. <laughs> I have to be very close to someone to understand the reality, to walk a mile in their shoes, to, to hear, feel their breath, to understand their feelings and emotions. But when I look at them from afar, I oh, yes, they should do this, and they should do that, and they, they're being idiots. But when I come close, I'm like, oh, my Lord, that's my, that's my brother. I didn't know he was. I never met him. That's my sister. If I grew up the way they grew up, if, if, if I experienced what they experienced, I'd be in the same boat that they are in. I know I would. I'm not that strong. I'm weaker than anybody. And I didn't go through all that turmoil. I wasn't abused as a child, thank God. I wasn't beat up as a kid or sexually abused or something. You know what? Many of my homeless friends were, and they didn't deserve that. That was a great injustice to them that has broken them for their entire lives, and only Jesus can set them free. And so we, when we get up close, we begin to see details, things that are so important to understand and have empathy and sympathy. So get up close to people that maybe you think they're in their, your blind spot. Get up close to serve them. I'm going to give you an example. Here's a picture of a place that is right by my office in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, as you can see, it's uh, U.S. fried chicken. And they serve a lot of fried chicken, okay? <laughs> and sometimes I would get hungry, and I would go down there to get something to eat. I'm trying to eat healthier now and not eat so much fried chicken, but it was delicious. So I would go down there, and I noticed everyone working there was Muslim and from the Middle East, and as I began to see them more often and think about them, I thought, God, how can I love my brothers who are different than me? How can I get to know them? And he encouraged me and just said, you need to ask them their name. You need to ask them their story. And so when I came, I, I, the owner was there every day. He was so hardworking. And I, I said, what's your name? He said, Salim. I was like, Salim, nice to meet you. I'm Juan, and we shook hands. And I said, Salim, where are you from? And he said, Persia. <laughs> Do you know the country of Persia? <laughs> no. You see, he didn't feel safe enough with me to tell me where he was from. Eventually he did. It was Afghanistan. But he was afraid I would judge him and see him as a terrorist or an enemy or somebody who hated me. And so I kept, you know, nudging him and getting to know him. And he told me, and I said, oh. And I, I found out he had a wife. He had two children. And I got to know him and show him I, I cared about him. That's all, just as a friend in the neighborhood. And I would come in, and I would see plaques on the walls that were in Arabic and said things about Allah. And I couldn't read them. And I would ask him, like, what does this say? What is it about? Oh, no, you don't want to know about it. I was like, no, I'm, I'm interested in your life. Just 
I'd like to know what it says. Well, it says God is good and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Oh, thank you. And I remember one day I even brought my wife Tracy by. I said, Tracy, I want you to meet Salim. He's a really good friend to me. And I brought her over, and he said, oh, so nice to meet you. And he got her a free drink. Here, this is on me. And I was so touched. And I remember one day I came to Salim, and I said, I was planting a church with Tracy, just a block away, guys. And I had flyers for the church. I said, it was a four-score church. I said, could we put these flyers in your store? I'm asking a Muslim man from Afghanistan, can I promote my Christian church in your store? You know what he said? Of course, my friend. Please, all you want, I'll tell everybody. You know why? Because I loved him. Because I didn't see him as my enemy. I didn't see him as somebody against me. You know, he saw pictures of me in the newspaper baptizing people in the ocean, homeless people. And he, he said, I know that guy. That guy was a bad guy, a criminal. He was, the Lord was touching him, ministering to him, not by hitting him over the head of the Bible, by loving him. Because I didn't see him as the enemy. I saw him as a child of God, made in the image of God. The Lord will do these things. He will tear down barriers and walls if we'll only give him a chance. Amen? Woo! I'm preaching myself happy. <laughs> God's good. Here's number two. Get close. That was the first one. Get up close to people that might be in your blind spot so you can really see well. And number two, put on some glasses. Right? Put on some glasses. It's one thing to have a Bible. It's another thing to live the Bible. You can have the lens of the Word, but putting it on is acting. Putting it on, putting the glasses on so I can see is like, let me do something by faith, believing. Because when you put the Word into action, something ignites. You see, knowing the Word only gets you halfway there. You can grasp it intellectually, but the word has to get down into our hearts. And the way that happens is, is by action. Faith without works is dead. And so look at this next slide. This is kind of funny. Um, I don't know if you ever read comic books. When I was a teenager and a kid, I would read comic books, and they always had advertisements for uh, x-ray glasses. This is them. X-ray glasses. You could send away and then get a pair of these and then you could see through your hand. You know, see the bones in your hand. Guess what? It doesn't work. <laughs> They're made of cardboard, right? But I always thought as a kid, wow, wouldn't that be cool if I could look through walls? And I, you know, and it kind of, it fascinated me. And so, but when you put on the word, when you begin to act, guess what? The Lord gives us X-ray vision to see through the, the book's cover to see the heart to see the hurt, to see the person made to look like God that's beautiful. Even when they're missing teeth and they smell and they're begging, it's like I see something beautiful because I'm seeing with x-ray vision, the Lord has given me eyes to see now the way he sees. And so finding a place to apply the gospel. I'm going to give you an example from my life. Of course, the most obvious thing is come out with me on the relief bus. Let's go serve people together, right? But let me tell you a story from my life. You know, recently during the pandemic, there has been great racial turmoil. And when George Floyd died, I was, I was just deeply moved. I was deeply sorrowed. And it just broke my heart to see that video. I'd never seen anything so horrible. And I was like praying, 
God, what do I do? What do I do? How can I help people? How do I tear down racism? How do I, is there anything I can do? And he reminded me, I live in a neighborhood that's mostly white, but there's one black family in my neighborhood. That's the way it is, and I did not know them. And um, I thought of them because I have a good friend who's homeless, and um, he's a believer. Uh, He's African-American. And I had him come and stay at my house with me for a couple weeks because he was learning to get his driver's license and so he could get a job, so he could stop being homeless, right? And he was having a hard time with the driving test. He killed the written test. He, was an, he graduated with high grades from college. He was a smart person, but he couldn't pass the driving test. And so I said, come live with me for two weeks. You can drive me everywhere because he has a permit, and you can get the practice you need so you can get it, right? And I'd known him for years and since he came to the Lord. And we were very good friends. So he came to my house, and it was fun. And so one day, he said to my wife, I'm going to go out for a walk around the neighborhood. And she said, said, oh, I'll, I'll come with you. She immediately knew. She needed to go with him because it wasn't safe for a strange black man to be walking around our neighborhood. And he said, oh, you don't have to go with me. I'm fine. She goes, no, no, I'll come. She knew immediately. I I wouldn't have thought of that. And this is what the Lord has been revealing to me. And so they went out, and they were just half a block away, walking outside. And my wife had a hood on. It was cold. And she had her long hair tucked under the hood. And you couldn't tell who she was. And they were walking along. He's very tall. And someone raced up the street in a truck and came up on them. Very scary. And Tracy immediately, by the Holy Spirit, knew what was happening. She pulled down her hood and pulled out her hair, and she turned around to that person in the truck. And it turned out it was our neighbor, a young man. And she said, oh, hi, Johnny. And he went, oh, hello, Mrs. Galloway. She said, how can I help you? Oh, nothing, nothing. And then she chatted with him for a moment, and he drove down the street, and he did a U-turn, and he went back and parked. And I realized at that moment, guys, that this one family that lived in my neighborhood was not safe to walk around my own neighborhood. And I thought, I walk in my neighborhood every day to stay healthy, but they can't because these kind of things are happening. I've never experienced them. And so my heart was broken. And as I, I said, okay, Lord, I don't even know this family. What do I do to show them, I'm glad you're here in my neighborhood. I like you. I want you here. And I don't even know them. I feel awkward. I'm an introvert. I'm a shy person. You wouldn't know it because I'm preaching, but it's the way I really am. You know, I don't like to talk to strangers. But I just felt like the Lord saying, you need to go do something. So I said to my son, I said, why don't we make them some cookies? You know, it's always nice to bring a gift, right? And I made chocolate chip cookies because it's my favorite cookie in the whole world, okay? And I'm not even a baker. I don't bake cookies, but I made dozens of cookies. And I ate a few, I'll be honest, okay? But my son and I made a big plate, and we wrapped it up, and we put on our masks, and we walked over, and we just knocked on the door. And they said, hello, and they came out, and I said, hi, I'm your neighbor, and I know you're new here. And I said, we brought you some cookies. And they said, hold on. Let me get my wife and the family. They all came out of the house. 
and they're also happy to see us. And I just said, I haven't met you yet, and I know you're new. And they said, well, we've been here six months. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know. And I was like, well, I just want to introduce myself. And I, Douglas, Hope, Desiree, Don, Douglas Jr., and, and then they had the, the puppy's dog. I even know their dog's name. Uh, Marnie. <laughs> they even brought the puppy out so I could meet the puppy. And I just said, I, I just wanted to meet you. Because in the middle of all these news stories and racism and riots and protests, I, I didn't say anything about any of that. I just said, I'm just happy to meet you. And they said, wow, it's great to meet you. And I said, after the pandemic, I would love to have you into our home, have you over, and we can have, I'll grill some hamburgers and, and just be friends. Um, we would love that. And they said, that, that is wonderful. And so now when I'm out walking and I see them in the yard, I can say, hi, Doug. Hi, Hope. <laughs> and as I was walking home from dropping off those cookies, I was like, thank you, Lord. It's one little thing, right? Just one little thing. But I didn't see them. I didn't see them. I had a blind spot. I didn't know what they were experiencing, what their reality was. But the Lord began to give me vision. I need to give special care, special welcome, special love, because maybe they're not getting it anywhere else. I was like, thank you, God. I'm going to end with a verse here, because I'm supposed to be done. <laughs> Luke chapter 18. Um, and this is a very powerful verse. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. In other words, they didn't think they had any blind spots. They had great confidence in their own righteousness. I have no sin in my life. I, I, I am a very wise person in my own eyes. And they scorned everyone else. Well, that's how you know they're full of blind spots. They scorned everyone else. Completely blind. And it says, Jesus said this, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. This is very emotional. Oh, God! Beat his chest in great sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a pretty obvious point, isn't it? It's hard to even have to say anything about this verse. Guess what? Sometimes I have been the Pharisee and I've seen people in a condescending, judgmental way. But what if? What if? That's my next question on my next slide. What if? What if? You know, on my outreach, our ministry... You know what we do? We go out and we sit and we break bread and we eat soup with people who are homeless. Some of them are drug addicted. Some of them are mentally ill. Some of them are ex, uh, uh, out of prison, ex-offenders. And 
we get to hear their story and listen to them and learn about them. What if the Pharisee, when he saw that tax collector praying, instead of looking down on him and being, he's no good, I'm better than he is, what if that Pharisee had said, you know what? Maybe I don't know so much about him as I think. I'm going to go talk to him and ask him his name. I know that Pharisees don't talk to tax collectors, but you know what? I'm going to break through the barrier. I'm going to go talk to him. In fact, I'm going to invite him over to my house for dinner to really get to know him. What about all those judgments? What, with, what could the Lord have done, right? In someone who is humble enough, like a Pharisee, to know I have some blind spots. I need your help, God. I'm going to get close. I'm going to put on my glasses. I'm going to put on the word of God. I'm going to put into action by coming close and loving on that person in a tangible, physical way. Not just praying secretly, but doing something to, to engage. And then the Lord, don't you think he would pull the blind spots out of that Pharisee? And he would not only, God would use that sinner to pull the blind spots and heal the eyes, the heart eyes of the Pharisee. That is exactly what I'm suggesting to you that God can do with you and me. That is exactly what he wants to do. That's why Jesus told this story. It's not just to make us feel bad. It's to go, I can set you free. If you'll learn from the humble and the broken, he doesn't despise the broken and contrite heart. And so somehow when we draw close to the poor and the broken, we draw close to the heart of God. That's my whole message in a nutshell. Can I pray for us? Amen. Lord, I want to pray today the prayer of the blind beggar who came, saw you, Jesus, walking down the road. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Lord, when you said, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> that beggar said, Lord, let me recover my sight. That's our prayer today, God. Let us recover our sight, our heart eyes, our spiritual sight. And Jesus, you're saying to us right now, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Yes, God, because you're merciful when we don't deserve it. You, we can be like the tax collector right now. We can beat our chest. We can say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am not looking at people the way I should. I'm not thinking of them the way they should. I'm not talking to them the way I should. I'm not acting to serve them and wash their feet like I should. God, show me how. Set me free. Lord, give me the eyes to see and the legs to walk it out. That is my heart's cry. Jesus, heal my heart eyes. Only you can do this. Lord, I want my whole body, my soul to be full of light, but I need you to heal my blind spots. Help me to see people the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo, give God the glory.